0: and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. We've all heard leaders of a certain mindset groan about how no one wants to work today. Back in my day, People were so much more motivated to go the extra mile and be a great team player. What's often forgotten when people say this is that the rules of the game have changed. Companies no longer invest in their people the way that they used to. Every employee is pretty much in survival mode. And yet a lot of leaders gloss over and ignore that reality and wonder why employees are more unmotivated than ever. Expectations need to be realigned and reset in order to get the best out of the talent that you have and attract the best talent available. That's the argument that Alexa Beavers makes. So what's Alexa's story? In broad terms, she's a founder, a consultant, a coach, and speaker. She's focused on bringing out the best in others and making a positive impact, especially in times of change. She's an outcomes-driven leader with experience in multiple industries and Fortune 500 environments with a proven ability to develop and implement complex programs that positively impact business results. She's a trusted consultant and leadership coach who connects across cultures and communicates effectively with stakeholders at all levels of an organization from the executive tier all the way to the shop floor. She's had a successful track record in organizational transformation, program management, executive leadership development, and business process improvement. And oh, by the way, she's also the founder and CEO of Excella Group. Alexa, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. It's and a pleasure.
0: We're going to cover a lot of ground, and especially given the distinct generational makeup of the workforce, I think this conversation that we're going to have is going to be really useful for leaders of all types. A good place for us to start is for you to fill in some of the gaps that I didn't include in your bio, and especially... Those things that you feel are gonna be important for the listeners to know about you and your journey.
1: Even still hearing my bio read by somebody else makes me have a little bit of hotness under the collar. I have done all of those things, and it all really started from a pretty humble beginning. And what you didn't mention is that I actually started off as a teacher. And a lot of folks, including my partner in this business, says, hey, you've had career ADHD. How does it all connect? But it all really starts as my roots as a teacher, where I was working with kids specifically to help them bring their best into the world. I really started off as a bleeding heart idealist, and I thought that would be the way for me to make an impact in this world. What was a struggle about being a teacher was at the time where I was teaching. Was all about these SOLs and vocabulary words. It wasn't about the whole person. And I was very interested in teaching to the whole human being. And that's where teaching and I kind of parted ways. My career is not riddled with ADHD because the red thread is really helping people to be their best selves, especially in times of change and especially in times that we're facing today in today's workforce. Jim, I take issue with the thing that you said earlier where people are saying nobody wants to work today. And We can talk a little bit more about that, but that's not my experience. I think there's some tricks of the trade that you can bring to the table to really bring out the best in your talent.
0: There's a lot in what you said that uh, I think it's worth digging into. And I think there's a couple points that I want to thread together. One is your experience as a teacher and your philosophy as a teacher where you're incorporating the whole person into your teaching philosophy and methodology. I think that's, uh, that's something to pull on. But I'd like you to tie that together with your quote-unquote career ADHD. How do both (laughs) those things inform your leadership philosophy and the advice that you give to other leaders that are out there? When
1: it comes to that teaching route, which is where I started out, and this idea of career ADHD, there's a lot of things that connected from my idealistic viewpoints of helping people to be their best selves as a teacher into helping people be their best selves as a leader. And when it comes to doing those things, some of the things that really support people bringing out their best skills and their strengths is having a look at what makes that person really who they are, seeing the whole person, seeing them for their strengths, seeing them for their What scares them, seeing them through their fears, all of that kind of ties in to how I lead at the Accela Group and how we bring human-centered leadership to the table as businesses change and as leaders try to make the most of the workforce today.
0: That's interesting from a philosophical perspective. What I'd like you to do is tie that together with how that actually shows up in how a leader should behave when it comes to getting their people motivated and moving forward with an action and outcomes focus.
1: When I was a young teacher in an inner-city school, one of the things that I did as a teacher is I really was looking to see what my students truly needed. and. More often than not, it was the very basics, the things at the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, their physiological needs. Sometimes they needed breakfast. So we would do a cooking lesson in class that hit math, that hit science, but it really hit that basic need of being fed. In Maslow's hierarchy, if you don't hit those basic things, physiological onto kind of your need for safe safety and in the workplace that translates to psychological safety on up to belonging, you're not gonna get anything out of your folks because they're so focused on that basic survival mode. So as a teacher in my classroom, we worked to address those very basic needs because I knew before they were ever gonna learn any math or any vocabulary, they needed to feel safe and have their basic needs met. Now, how that relates in business, great question. Just imagine walking into your workplace and, being seen as a cog in a machine, needing to get some things done, never having your basic needs met. Maybe your salary isn't high enough. Maybe you're not heard. Maybe you're not seen. Maybe you don't feel like you can speak up. Being able to speak up correlates directly to your need for safety, your need for belonging and being seen. So as long as you aren't getting those basic needs met, you're not giving any discretionary effort. You're just doing the bare minimum to earn that paycheck and get by. So leaders, what you need to do is look at your people, listen to them, check out. What is it that they really need beyond the basic stuff at a computer, beyond that? What do they need after you do that? you'll start to tap into what could really unleash this person's full potential.
0: When we're talking about some of the foundational requirements for peak performance, this is what we're actually getting at. We talk in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how that relates to a business perspective. I think this ties into something that I mentioned early on in the conversation, which was the perception out there that that a lot of people don't wanna work anymore. And I think that's rooted in some misguided thinking On the part of leadership, it's not that people don't want to work anymore. It's that it's an unwillingness, at least my argument is that it's an unwillingness for certain leaders to actually admit that there is some problems or some disconnect between how work is structured, how organizations are structured and the gap between that structure and what's required for employees to now be effective and have their needs met. There's a pretty big gap and there's a pretty large segment of the population that I would argue that ignores that gap even exists. So how do you actually respond? You said you have a bone to pick with me early on. How do you respond to the clarification or the nuance that I'm getting at when we talk about a lot of leadership philosophy out there that is unwilling to admit that they're not meeting the basic foundational needs of their employees To perform well, which leads to all of these other collective paycheck type behaviors.
1: Yeah. It's so easy to point the finger at somebody else, isn't it? It's so it relieves us of a lot of responsibility for going to be like, oh, it's their problem. They just don't want to do it. So the point that you brought up about it's it takes a minute and some courage and some humility to look in the mirror as a leader and think, oh, what is my part in this equation? We have the structure of the workplace. We have all kinds of things that we're up against. And as a leader, we all play a role in perpetuating that system or breaking the pattern of that system. And when it comes to what you just said, hey, what is it that I can do as a leader to start to see my team start to provide the things that will give them what they need? That's when you start to break the patterns of a structure that really isn't working for us anymore and probably leads to that belief, that initial story or narrative that people just don't wanna do work like they used to anymore. You mentioned at the very beginning, a lot has changed. If you think back when I first started in the workplace, there were things like pensions even. There were things like a very long kind of tenure with a single organization and reward for time served. And that has changed. When I left teaching, I was working in a Fortune 500 company and facing a layoff. And I went to a career counselor and he said, Alexa, you really need to be the CEO of yourself. And that was a mindset shift for me. And I think we are looking at a lot of people in the workforce that are seeing the surrounding circumstances and taking ownership of their career in a way that they are CEOs of themselves. So when you're working with a lot of people that see themselves as CEO of themselves, how do you bring out the best in those human beings? and have them function in a team in service of your organizational mission. It takes a different approach than it did maybe 20, 30 years ago.
0: You said a lot there that I think we can deconstruct. And I love the comment that you had that you're the CEO of your own career. And I think that's a mentality that a lot more people need to have. And I tend to be a little bit more of a mercenary in terms of philosophy. And my sort of words of advice to everybody is that everyone is a free agent act accordingly. Both of us are coming at it from a similar perspective that social contract between employer and employee has shifted. It's no longer the era of our parents or some of our parents where you would graduate from wherever you graduated from, join up with a company, and then you would retire with a pension 50 years later. That's not the case anymore. In fact, You've seen it over and over again that the world of work today is one where you have CEOs who are making multi-million dollar bonuses based on maximizing shareholder value, whatever that means. And I think we have a good idea of what that means. And it usually means that people are going to get laid off by the thousands right before the holidays to make the balance sheet look good. So you're in that world and employees are operating in that world with a fairly high level of anxiety. And when you look at that dynamic, it creates a really difficult situation for your line level leaders who are being pressured by executive leadership to deliver the results. And they're dealing with a workforce that is really hesitant to go all in with a company that kind of views them as disposable. So it's a really complex situation that employees are faced with. So when you're looking at that complexity, and you got me on a soapbox. So when you're looking at that complexity that exists within the world of work, what are some of the things that leaders need to be intentional about to create an environment that's tapping the full capability of the employees that they have under their charge?
1: One I love that you said leaders need to be intentional about because that's one, my word, intentional, uh, is my word for 2024, so thanks for that. But also leaders need to be intentional in new ways, which mean they need to have discretion in their actions for how they show up with folks. And you mentioned a little bit about how CEOs are incentivized based on shareholder value, which leaves many employees at the mercy of these numbers. And that can feel very disempowering. It is disempowering. It can make you feel like you are at the mercy of someone else and you have no agency. What leaders need to do now in today's world is to seek out ways to bring agency to the workforce at every single level, from the shop floor to middle management, which is often forgotten and is doing a split between the shop floor and the senior director management decisions all the way through the directors and the C-suite. Thinking about how to bring agency within your structure and helping people have choice over the decisions that they're able to make, the calls that they're able to make, various ways to bring autonomy to the workforce allows them to Have some sense of control. And even when you can't control all of it, we still have a structure that is probably going to continue under capitalism, which is a system that works to incentivize these types of fluctuations every year. And people are going to choose to give discretionary effort when they have more choice, agency, and they are seen and respected. For the value that they bring i'm not saying that they're going to be living with the company for their whole life but in the moment that they're seen as bringing value they will give you more and so i think it's very important to intentionally bring agency to your team intentionally point out and be verbal and reward how they're bringing value and also engage them in the discussions that are impacting them along the way.
0: Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wind Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. When you talk about agency, and you also mentioned a couple of things about verbalizing what is important. It brought me to a conversation that we had earlier in season one, of uh, our show where we were talking with Jim Weaver, who is the CEO of Own It. And one of the things that he mentioned that stood out to me is that leaders and organizations need to stop lying to their employees. They need to stop operating in a way where you're creating this fantasy that people are going to be with your organization forever and talking about family and all sorts of stuff like that. And at the same time that they're pushing that messaging out, they're also Whenever there's an earnings report or some financials that need to be met, they're going through these sort of callous layoffs and things like that. You can't do that. And what he advocated, and this is one of the things that's that he attributed to the level of growth that Onan Group had, was that he's transparent, like from the onboarding Process. The conversations that are typically had is our goal is to have you be here for roughly three years and develop to this sort of stage. And at that stage, we can revisit what the next three years look like. What are the things that you want to accomplish in the next 18 to 36 months that's going to be important for you to go to the next level in your career? So that transparency, which you talked about, I think is going to be critical when we're talking about how do you tap that discretionary effort? and come Uh together with your employees. But there's another aspect that I'd like you to expand and it was the concept of agency. And I translate that into bringing humanity back into work because I think when you look at the world of work today, it's not a very, quote unquote, human place. It's the cog in the wheel mentality that exists in a lot of organizations. So when you think about how do we bring humanity back into the workplace, There's an interesting model that we were talking about uh, when we were prepping for the show. What is the model that you've empowered leaders with that actually helps them flow humanity down to the line level and tap into that discretionary effort?
1: The model that we use in our organization is the four human leadership model. We shorten it to four H. But we really encourage leaders to connect in four different areas, four different realms from their head. What are they thinking from their heart? What are the emotional data points? And I do say emotional data points because for a long time, we boxed that heart out of the workplace and really it was a piece that left us slightly blinded because your emotions are data. So we do encourage leaders to understand their emotional intelligence, how they use emotional intelligence, and also understand the emotions of their team members and engage with them Mm -hmm. along those lines. So head, heart, hands. So when it comes to whole human leadership, how do you deploy your leadership mindset? How do you deploy your emotions through your actions? Because you can say a lot of really great stuff. You can have things written in an email. You can have things written on your website, your mission statement, but it's all about that close connection between the audio and the visual. So that's what we call hands. How do you deploy and make the walk match the talk? And then also the last part is overall health. And this is how are you leading in a way that connects each person on your team with the overall bigger picture? Helps each individual understand how they're contributing to the greater good, the greater part of the system. So they're part of something bigger than themselves which is what we think of as organizational health. So the 4-H leadership model is something that we use to help leaders explore in all those four dimensions and then practice leading in those different ways
0: so i want to dig a little bit deeper into that model so we've talked about that from a conceptual level what are the things that leaders can do to bring that model to life in their interactions with their line level employees
1: the first thing a leader needs to do is really take a good look at themselves i said it's always so easy to point the finger at someone else right so as a 4-h leader you want to have a very clear view of Up until now, what's shaped your leadership thinking? Why do you think the way you do? Why are you acting the way you do? Is it from a place of fear? Is it from a place of being creative and supportive? So you want to really have a good look at that. Once leaders can know themselves, then we invite them to engage with others and challenge their assumptions. Sometimes things that served you in the older way of doing work or a prior job doesn't serve you anymore. So we ask leaders to challenge their own assumptions as they go out and engage with folks. And then talk to your people. Talk to them from the 4-H perspective. Ask them about what are they wanting to know? What do you need to know? What do you want to, where do you want to grow? Where do you want to build your knowledge? Ask them, how are you feeling today? And don't let them say, fine, that's very overused. Say, no, how are you feeling? What are you noticing? How does this new initiative make you feel? It's a really fine question to ask. when that will give you a different kind of data than what do you want to know. And you want to ask think about what you want them to do. And based on those two things, that's the do is the hand. So think about what's motivating that human being. What are the things that's driving them based on your conversations? And then try to connect their actions to those motivating factors. And then the connect. So we want to go back to health. Talk to them a little bit about how what they're doing for you, for the company, what their special strengths are. How do they impact the guy down the line from them? How do they impact the customer that y'all are serving? How do they impact someone in another department? Connect their value and their effort to others. And so that's how we bring it forward from a more practical perspective.
0: Great conversation so far, Alexa, and I appreciate you mapping out or laying out what the landscape looks like. I think one of the things that's going to be really helpful is building a roadmap or a framework that leaders can use to really connect with their employees and also bring the talent that they have up a level so you're actually maximizing the effort that you're getting from them. So what's your advice on that front?
1: Yeah. As you think about breaking this cycle of employees feeling like a cog in a wheel or a cog in a machine and not having any autonomy, it's going to take change-making. And that means leaders have to have some courage to break the patterns that they see unfolding in front of them. So the first thing that I always suggest to leaders is be ready to step in and break the pattern. So that means sometimes that you have to go first. When you see your team in survival mode, in fear mode, the first thing to open up and make it them even have permission to think that there's another way is for you to role model and demonstrate. Maybe that means showing up and saying, hey, I'm a little afraid to share this with you because it's not how I would normally show up. But I want to tell you, I'm feeling XYZ today. So maybe it's starting by role modeling, expressing your emotions. Maybe it has to do with role modeling, giving trust. Maybe it has to do with saying, you know what? I know that you all might be anticipating some news from the company. And what I'd like to do is start including you earlier and more often as I have information. So you need to really Go first as the leader, because the team will not start to step into that until they see you start to lay the groundwork and say, it's a safe place to do that with me. Does that make sense?
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that. And I think one of the things that I'd like you to tie together is this. Over the last year or more, one of the things that we've seen is that line level managers, so your first level managers are extremely stretched in terms of what's expected of them. You have executives that are pushing them to drive results, and you also have line-level employees that report into that first layer of management who are burnt out, who are frustrated, who are in survival mode that we've all talked about. So it's a no-win situation for line-level managers. So what I'd like you to do is map out what do senior leaders, so your directors and above, need to do to position their line-level managers for success. And then the second part of it is, what do line managers need to be doing to get their employees locked in on the right thing so that you're actually maximizing what you're getting out of the team? What's your insight on that?
1: Yeah, it's going to take a whole level system change. So if we start at the more senior level, and it's really important, to attend to each level of the organization because if you have one part of the organization making a shift and the other one still acting in the old way, somebody's going to bump their head. It's going to be messy. And it's going to be messy no matter what. When you're working with the senior leadership, we want to think of them as leaders who manage coaches, leaders leading coaches. No longer are you overseeing a supervisor, overseeing a function. You are leading coaches because. The way work gets done in companies today still is dependent on human beings. And so we want those leaders to not just bark out orders to supervisors of frontline, but to engage people in a coaching fashion, helping them to think for themselves, which gives them agency. And the big distinction that you'd see at the senior leadership level, two big distinctions are one, sharing more openly Information and then asking a lot of questions to bring out the knowledge of your line managers. So, not just giving them the answers, barking the orders, delegating, talking with them about how would you see this working? What might be another approach we could take? Those types of questions will help to empower and bring agency to the frontline leaders. They become coaches, they're coaches of the people who have their boots on the ground and those. Frontline leaders will also replicate some of that coaching as well. So they'll be more directive in some circumstances, but they'll also deploy some coaching of the frontline. They'll do a lot more of making clear requests, a lot more of building the bridge from what the senior leaders are to how it is brought forward in the shop floor and the value. They're a conduit that brings information both ways so they become a feedback loop. As a coach, they're gonna be asking questions too. In organizations that make this transition, you see a whole lot more questioning and listening than you do straight up telling. So those directives get a lot less time and press, and it's more about a conversation that happens at the senior levels and then at the shop floor level.
0: So I really like the point that you made about creating a coaching culture. And one of the key aspects of creating a coaching culture is asking enough questions to unlock what exists with the person below you. And I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that's often missed in a lot of organizations in a rush to actually execute and get things done. You just run in and play hero instead of creating the conditions for your people to thrive. So I like how you bridged all of that together. When you think about the conversation that we've had and you think about the most important things that we've talked about in this discussion, what are the big things that you want the listeners to walk away with and be thinking about when they're trying to make this transformation and get the most out of the people on their team?
1: If we're talking to any CEOs out there that are beholden to stakeholder numbers and reporting who are thinking about laying off, there's a big myth out there, and I want to call out that myth. The myth is that if you invest in developing your leaders and bring them, invest in the human side of leadership, that slows down value creation. That's why you find yourselves needing to lay off. You're going to either pay upfront by investing in building that human capability, that 4-H leadership, or you're going to pay later when you have to rehire that staff, when you have to ramp up all over again, you're on a kind of a a fluctuating cycle. So if one of the people we're talking to are those CEOs, I'm gonna encourage you to invest in the human side of leadership. And you'll probably end up diminishing that up and down that you're facing. So invest upfront or pay the cost later. Now, if we're talking to middle managers, I wanna say, hey, we recognize that you have one of the hardest jobs out there. You are doing splits all day long, trying to carry the messaging from senior managers. Sometimes you don't have all the information, but you have to toe the line and get folks to do what they're going to do. I encourage you to take good care of yourself first and foremost. Take care of your physiological needs so that you can ask the tough questions of your leaders and start to carry information forward and support your team in having more agency. But first, take care of yourself because we acknowledge that you have a really tough job. At the very end of the day, we want to bust the myth that investing in being a human-centered leader is diminishing value creation because it's just the opposite. Invest in being a more human leader and that's where you'll create value today.
0: If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Oh, you should connect with us. We love having conversations no strings attached. We just love to get to know humans and what your business is all about. So reach out to us at www.theexcellagroup.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, and we would love to have a conversation with you.
0: I appreciate you sharing your insight with us, Alexa. When I think about this conversation... And what stood out to me, I think one of the principles that comes to mind is that battles are won or lost on the front lines. And when we apply that to a business context, and and we're using that to explain why there's a lack of motivation across many people on the front line, I think this is a failure of executive and senior leadership to really empower their managers to be effective. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at the biggest reasons why people will join or leave an organization, it's for the manager that they report into. And in fact, when you look at the data that exists out there, out of the top five reasons why somebody is going to leave an organization, usually two out of the top five is related to manager effectiveness. So as... Senior and executive leaders within an organization, you have to be especially disciplined in making sure your managers are equipped well. So what does that look like? First and foremost, you need to be modeling the behavior that's necessary. That will demonstrate to your line level managers, what good looks like. One of the key things that a manager is responsible for is to connect the dots between the strategy and the execution to their people. And if you're constantly playing superhero and jumping in and not building that coaching culture, your line level managers are never going to build the capability to connect those dots. And if they're not connecting those dots, your line level people are never going to understand how the work that they're doing actually fits into the bigger picture. So if we're trying to identify problems and understand why things are breaking down, the problem usually sits at the top. An attitude is going to reflect leadership, so you have to be disciplined in taking a step back and making sure that you're asking the necessary questions of your managers and your leaders so that they're in a position to be successful. For those of you who have listened to this conversation, if you liked what you've heard, make sure you drop us a review, and then you can hear this conversation as well as many others by joining our HR impact community. You can find that at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR impact show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.